Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Lorelai Weissel-Labrizzi. I'm Brian Dawes. And I'm Chris Delano. We are here with another exciting episode of our podcast. Uh, new set is out. Wilds of Eldraine is uh, previewed. Well, it's, it's not like out, out, but like it's previewed so you can see all the cards. That was a confusing sentence. I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, all the cards are previewed. We have... Uh, we have a flavor gem listed sometime, right? I think uh, we're gonna we're gonna do it eventually. eventually. We've got we've got some special guests coming up, and so I think those will take precedence over flavor gems. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll we'll, get, we'll get them in there. Yeah, we'll get there. I guess uh, one of them is gonna sort of be a meta textual flavor gems episode. Yeah, that'll make that'll make more sense in a couple of weeks. Uh, <laughs> be on the lookout just yeah be on the lookout for <laughs> Borthos cast episodes that are really cool with some uh some of our favorite people so very excited for the next few weeks of the podcast also excited awesome. about today though yeah we have to finish talking about the story mm-hmm. we have episodes four and five to talk about um the uh the other piece of news is the um what i think is the last comic we're getting from Boom Studios, uh, Planeswalker Notorious, which is uh, a couple villain-centric stories, is out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a detail in there just for me. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's really good. I enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. If this is the last comic they ever put out, I'll be very sad, but I will also be like, they they did the things they did what we wanted out of comics and i wish it had been out when we talked about all the comics because a lot of what we said was like hey the comics get to do fun cool things and bring in characters mm-hmm. that the mainline series doesn't use or has been missing from the mainline series for a long time uh and so we got a comic that featured calix who doesn't really have any story and also uh redacted and it's really cool uh yeah the the main it's calix uh, oko liliana and soren are kind of the major players um across like two two it's like a two-part thing mm-hmm. it's good it's good comics are good um guess by the time this episode is out well i will finally have seen blue beetle very excited <laughs> There's also another piece of news. Uh, if you are a fan of YouTube video essays, Spice 8 Rack has done it again. Uh, they released a video that is the entirety of Magic Story in 80 minutes, and it's pretty good. I enjoy it. Um, I think it is very, very uh, good at putting everything in a timeline order, and it's got some real fun jokes, as is expected from a video from Spice 8 Rack. Uh, and also mostly covers everything important that's happened in magic for you know all of its history uh a couple of things i was like "Mm, i don't know if that's fair but i think that's my response to anything i think is really good is that i do have like a comment about it and i'm not just like throwing it aside i think this is really good and you should watch it you know there you have it uh where are we on the agenda right at the top i know how to read uh (laughs) so we're gonna start with ruby and the frozen heart episode four by K. Arsenal Rivera. Um, where do we leave off with episode three? They looked in the mirror Indralon to see the frozen castle and they left the sky giant place. Okay. Um, so 
uh, we kind of uh, fast travel back to Edgewall Village. Uh, Kellen and Ruby have been adventuring for a while now, but the uh, sleeping curse keeps getting worse where there was once, you know, a person sleeping in a corner here or there. Um, you know, entire households have fallen asleep. Tendrils of swirling energy are snaking their way across the entire town. It's bad. But there's also good things in the village. They keep seeing children run around with red hoods and wool cloaks. And uh, in the town square, they see a puppeteer who's uh, putting on a show um, about the death of some witch named Agatha and the two kids who killed her. Um, yeah, who knows who they could be? It was Agatha all along. Sorry. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> yeah, she's... <laughs> um, and uh. so, like, the tales of their heroics are, like, starting to spread around the villages. And they have a, a really good discussion about what it means to be a hero and what makes a hero. And uh, they're good beans, and I like them, and they're so supportive of each other, and it's nice. Um, they meet up with Peter, Ruby's brother, who agrees to take them to, you know, so people, I've seen a lot of people pronouncing the lake, uh, Lac Laurent, but that feels a little too French. Um, in my, in my head, my brain is like Lac Laurent, but I don't know which is correct. So I, think I get the to be the French pronunciation is probably pretty correct, but you know, do what you, do what you want to do. I don't know. You're the one telling the story. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, sorry for that noise I just made with my breath that you're going to have to edit around. Um, <laughs> so uh, Peter is like, hey, I will take you like close to the lake. Um, but you really should let me just do this. It's very cold up there. Nobody's made it to this castle. It's really not safe. And I really cannot recommend y'all doing this. And Ruby is like, bro, you're hurt. No, you're staying here. We've got this. We can do it. Um, and he's like, dude, Imidane couldn't even get there. And she has a freaking axe made of fire. Like, you're gonna die. And Ruby's like, we're gonna dress warm. Um, and Peter's like, damn right you are. And gives them very heavy wool coats. Uh, and Kellen has this very nice moment where he's like, Oh, I'm gaffing emotions because this is made from wool from sheep from my hometown. I can tell by the smell. I might even have just been handed a cloak made out of wool from my own damn sheep. And it's very sweet. He's a good boy. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, they they talk a little bit about their adventures. Uh, we get the very good moment of being like, Tryon talked about something called a pain circus, which can't be real. That doesn't make any sense. And everyone here reading the story is like, I love the Rakdos. Yeah, Judith. And uh, I assume everyone loves the Rakdos. I do, which means everyone should. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I just like these, like all the little details about Troy and being for Ravnica is very sweet. Um, and so they are uh, approaching this ice castle and it's very, very cold. And... Um, Oh, Peter, Peter tells them to, uh, when you can't feel your noses, you should turn back. And so they're walking to the castle and they've like barely started and they're like, we can't feel our noses. Um, and a voice 
voices uh, carries through the frozen frosty wind and basically tells them that they're going to die if they keep going. They should turn back. Um, and they keep getting, you know, wind blown and snowed on. And then Ice Knights attack. Um, and Ruby is having a tough time. And Kellen is just looking at the basket hilts that he got from Talion and is like, do something. And he's thinking about his dad and being a hero. And something inside him feels like spring. And all of a sudden, the hilts erupt in this golden light of his fey magic. And he starts slicing apart these frost guys. Um, <laughs> I, I like your note here. Uh, he collapses afterwards uh, from exhaustion. And uh, Chris, you wrote in all caps, very bad and cold. Do not do this. <laughs> not recommended. Yeah, and like he like passes out. If you're if you're that cold and you pass out, you die. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't let people do that. Kellen doesn't die because he has the bestest friend in the whole world, and her name is Ruby, who carries him on her back. Um, she's like, I haven't felt my nose in hours, but I'm gonna keep putting one foot in front of the other and moving forward. And uh, Hilda, the second witch's voice, carrying through the wind, is like. What are you doing? You're you're you could leave just leave him. He's as good as dead. And if you keep going, you're gonna die too. Go save yourself. And she's like, no. She's like, you owe him nothing. She says, people don't need to owe each other to help each other, which is the best damn line. I like Ruby. Um and they, they so they have this little spat. Um and, like, Hilda gets more and more desperate to try and turn Ruby away. Uh, and then Ruby is like, Lady, why do you keep talking to me if I'm as good as dead? I think you're just lonely. And Hilda gets kind of fussy about it. <laughs> um, because she has been seen and known. And that, I hear, is a mortifying <laughs> ordeal. Um, and so Ruby gets to the drawbridge which has no cover from the wind. Uh, and she can't even stand anymore uh, and collapses into the snow. And so she kind of like flips over and starts crawling forward with Kellen on her back. Um, and right before um, she does pass out. I don't remember if she does or, or doesn't pass out. Um, I don't think Ruby passes out. I think... Uh, she is whisked away and then like gets some rests at the castle. But well, spoiler cause, alert. Cause Hilda yeah. shows up and gives them each a little forehead kiss yeah. mm -hmm. uh, to protect them from the snow uh, and make sure they're okay. Um, and she takes them inside and like puts them in cozy beds and offers them a bunch of food. And Ruby is like, I don't know, you're a witch. This is kind of sus. The last witch, witch was trying to fatten people up to eat them. Why are you giving us food? And Kellen is like, oh, man, I'm so hungry. Thank you for the food. And stuffs his face um, because he's stupid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we love him for it. Um, and it turns out Ruby was right. Hilda really is lonely. She was given this gift of this ice crown to create this ice fortress because she wanted to push everyone away. And Ruby was so persistent 
and so connected to Kellen that she was like that Hilda was like, damn, I really do be missing people, huh? Um, and invites them in and uh you know ruby this whole time is like we have to kill the witch to get the crown to give back to talion and hilda's just like here take it i don't need it i see where i have gone wrong kids were right i don't want this anymore and we appreciate hilda for her transformational growth in this moment um which is why she's the best witch i like her also giving up the crown is a good way to make sure you don't get killed you know Win-win. Yeah. Everyone wins. Note to the monarchies of any uh, country in existence right now, giving up the crown, really good way to make sure you don't get killed. I can't promise you won't, but it's your best bet. It's a good bargaining chip. Yeah. Um, Hilda also has a juicy nugget of information for Kellen, which is that Talion, the kindly lord of the High Fae, is maybe not one to be so readily trusted. And that they maybe have some secrets that Kellen should demand answers to. And as Hilda says, as soon as Kellen storms out of the castle, uh, Talion's illusionary uh, castle appears. Kellen runs in, throws the crown at the feet, at their feet, um and uh challenges talion who is like yeah so gave these witches these things because i needed help casting a spell to stop the phyrexians you know the sleep spell the one that's spreading even further now that nobody knows how to cure uh it's kind of a problem and you're kind of my guy, Kellen, to fix my problems that I created. So thanks, buddy. Uh, because what is what are the Fae if not manipulative? And uh, Kellen, rightfully upset, um, is told to go to Castle Ardenvale, former seat of the High King Algernus Kenrith, to find Ariet, the final witch with the final gift. Kellen is upset he's spaghetti. He has a little cry because he's sad because he's being used. He's a sensitive boy. Someone he looked up to and respected and thought was exciting, manipulated and used him. Yeah. Yeah. Took I, advantage of him and his naive childlike ways. I find that ending scene um, very important for knowing how big of a deal the ending of the next of the last story is because in uh-huh. the scene uh, when Kellen is talking to Talion, Kellen is like, you lied to me. And Talion explains, I cannot lie because if they ever lie, their blood will curdle. Uh, <laughs> uh, because to, according to Talion, high Faye cannot tell lies. Um, they can still manipulate you and trick you, but they cannot lie to you, which is, I think like a pretty standard trope. Um, mm-hmm. And so the thing that's upsetting Kellen is that Talion then says that they knew Kellen's dad. So Kellen is very aware that Talion is 100% telling the truth about knowing who Kellen's father is, a birth father. Um, And also that Talion has said that they would tell Kellen 
who all about their dad once they complete the quest. Um, but also like Kellen's being used and manipulated. So like, he's just really upset. Cause he's like, there is no denying that Talion knows everything he says, or knows everything that Kellen wants to know. And there's no denying that also Talion is tricking Kellen. So it's just, yeah, it's like very upsetting. I can understand Kellen's upset like state here. Unless he's lying about the, the blood curdling thing. You never know. You never know if a fae is lying about not being able to lie. That is true. But uh, I, <laughs> I I trust it. Um, but also like, yeah, it's, it's just a lot of stress for Kellen to be going through at this moment of like, hey, you the the fate of all of the realm is on your shoulders right now, buddy. Um, and you've almost died uh, like several times trying to save everything. So uh, good luck with what is absolutely going to be the hardest task. Um, also worth noting, episode four does not feature anything about uh, the Kenriths. It is all Kellen and Ruby the whole way through. There is no Rowan. There is no Will. Um, this kind of broke the pattern of the first three episodes, which were kind of half and half, and fully established that this was a Kellen and Ruby story entirely, um, which I really I thought was nice to kind of break up the pattern a little bit and also like gave a lot of room for this very much character focused episode to play out. I like episode four. It's my favorite of this set. I really like Ruby and I really like Kellen and I really like Hilda and they all say wonderful things to each other and the dialogue is like good and pithy and exactly the right words for moments to convey things and Kay does a very good job with the space that she has in this set and I think this story is the one that uh, showcases that the best. Agreed. Yeah, I think it's really nice uh we we all were kind of a little worried about i mean like well i say we all uh the royal we we were worried about the five episodes of this story and it just being five episodes and i was already really impressed with the way the pacing was being handled um to give us fulfilling episodes that all felt good and part of one big story without feeling like we were missing too much or that things were moving too quickly uh and this episode definitely hit that like sweet spot of like a lot of action happens uh, and there are things that happen off screen and it's fine. Like I still, the pacing still worked. The story was good. It had a, you know, a very, uh, what is the term I'm thinking of when thing is good? Um, satisfying. And a very satisfying ending and a very satisfying build up to it. And I like that. So just from like a short story perspective, this was a successful one. You want to talk about the next episode? Broken Oaths, the last episode, the final the final piece of this narrative puzzle. I mean, I guess someone's got to talk about it. I'm only the person who wrote like half a page of summary for it. So, yeah, um, episode it's five. Really, it's also not really a puzzle narrative, but eh, metaphors ain't perfect. Um, episode five is uh, called Broken Oaths, and it is uh, the last episode of the, the main story and all of the stories, because we didn't get side stories, and we'll talk about that later. But uh, it's very, a lot happens, is one way to put it. Um, it starts off with a line, Child Kellen to the castle ruins comes. Uh, I just want to say, Kay, you are seen, you are appreciated. Um, this is a a direct reference to the, uh, the poem Child Roland to the Dark Tower Came uh, by Robert Browning, which is a 
if you've like read a lot of like medieval literature, you've probably read it, even though it was written in like 1859. Uh, if you've read a lot of poetry, uh, you've read it. It's also like the basis on which the Dark Tower series by Stephen King was kind of based around. Um, so I saw that. Thank you, Kay. Appreciated. Uh, anyways, uh, Kellen and Ruby arrive at Ardenvale, uh, and they run like right into Rowan when they show up and Rowan's there and she's like, Hey, you should leave. You're a couple of kids. And they're like, we're on a quest. And she's like, ha, 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 you should do your quest outside. And they're like, we're going to kill the witch. <laughs> and she's like, ha, 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 you should leave that to more adult people, you little, little kids. And, uh, Kellen's like, no, no, we've been sent on a quest by the kindly Lord Talion to kill all the witches, and we've already done two of them. I'm here to do the last one. And then Rowan, like, knocks him out um, and Sleep. captures. Yeah, she's like, she's like, this is this is not good. Um, so she captures the two kids, and it turns out she's been trying some sleeping magic, and it has not been working. Uh, she's not very good at casting sleeping spells. Lightning spells, she can handle. Sleeping spells, not working out. Uh they wake up, or at least Ruby wakes up Kellen uh, in a jail cell. Uh, she's got a sword because Ruby's got a sword made of ice because, uh, of course, Hilda gave her a sword made of ice that's like the size of her, which is really cute. Um, Hilda's just fun. I like Hilda. Anyways, uh, Ruby's like, hey, the cavalry has arrived. Rowan has gone off to fight them. Uh, we can escape now and go help. And it turns out that Will has shown up to, the, to break the curse at the castle uh, and he's got an army alongside him. He has united a bunch of the Knights of the Realm. Uh, even Imidane is calling him High King, which is a huge improvement over the first episode. Um, Rowan doesn't like this very much. She doesn't like the fact that they're calling Will High King. She doesn't like the fact that Will is here to stop her, essentially. Uh, she's very upset because Will is like trying to like be nice to her and like, hey, I understand that you're going through a lot. Uh, what you've done here is pretty bad, but like, just come home. Eric and uh, Hazel really need us. And um, Rowan's not hearing any of it. She lashes out at him. Um, we can talk about whether or not we think like Will was at all saying like the wrong things here. Um, but she, they they end up fighting, um, throwing some ice magic at lightning. Uh, they're pretty evenly matched. Uh, Will defends as well as Rowan can attack, which is very appropriate since they are a 2-4 and a 4-2, respectively. Um, so they do just kill each other if they fight, um, which I thought was fun. Uh, they argue over the future of the realm. Uh, they talk about what like power means, and Rowan is like, I will just take power, and Will is like, well, I'm gonna, you know, get power through uniting people, and diplomacy and Rowan is like would diplomacy have worked with Oko or the Orik um so she's you know or the Phyrexians uh so she's got her some points she's got some she's making some some valid statements here um but at this point in time Rowan's on the back foot and uh Ashiok arrives and they are here to even the score up as they send the sleepers in the castle to fight off all of these trained knights and uh it looks like they're kind of winning. Ashiok and uh, their like army of sleeping knights uh, with Ariat's help are doing a pretty good job of fighting back this force that Will brought. Um, but Kellen has snuck up behind Ashiok and uses his little magical sword things to like turn into whips to secure Ashiok in place. And Will throws an ice lance that Rowan thinks is aimed towards her, but flies over her shoulder and hits Ashiok straight in the chest. 
Uh, Ashiok planeswalks away, leaving Rowan and Ariette practically defenseless because they can't handle all of this that's happening. Um, and uh, essentially, they're captured. Uh, Ariette, like, uses a little bit of telepathy, or, yeah, that's the right word, to tell Rowan to just leave, that she'll be fine, because they, they would never kill her, um, because, you know, they're too soft-hearted. So Rowan blasts up out of the castle using lightning power, which is fun, um, and flies off away, uh, leaving Ariette to, you know, suffer the consequences. Um, Kellen ends up getting Ariette's crystal apple, and uh, he slips off to uh, the realm of the Fae through a Feyman path, as I was calling them last episode, uh, where he talks to Talion off screen. We don't see their their conversation at all. We don't know what they talked about. Um, but we do cut to Kellen later returning home to Orenshire, where his mom and stepdad are really excited to see him. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on this family relationship, and I think it's great. His mom like calls out like, our boy, our boy is back, because as far as she's concerned, uh, Ronald is is Kellen's dad. Um, Ronald Sweep. Yeah. Eldrain has the best blended families. They're great. They really do. Um, family has a very good meaning on Eldrain, I think. Uh, anyways, um, his mom is like, hey, you were gone and I made you this cloak of Orenshire wool with this beautiful embroidery on it that features a blue-skinned fairy leading some elk around. Uh, it's also enchanted. So, like, you know, she's got a little bit of magic left in her. Um, and then Kellen explains to her that he talked to Talion. He completed his quest, which... By the way, this does mean that the sleeping curse is gone um, by stopping area and all of that. So in case you didn't like understand that part, um, they have saved Eldraine as far as we're concerned. Um, and Kellen explains like, hey, I talked to Talion and uh, I didn't ask about my dad because I told them that I would rather hear it from you. And so uh, his mom goes through and tells him the whole story about like, meeting his father out in the woods and his dad was like this fae who promised her a bunch of nightshade and they would talk all the time and he kept asking her about like you know the realms and thought it was really interesting because he came from a realm where fae ruled over everyone and humans were subjugated uh, and all fae were subjugated and he uh this fae that she was talking to really doesn't like that and he was planning on uh, sort of toppling Talion and also the realms of humanity and and creating anarchy and then establishing Kellen's mom as queen and she wasn't really into that idea and um, he ended up disappearing. And, oh, what was his name? His name was Oko. Dun, dun, dun. Kellen is Oko's child, which is... Okay. Um, that was like a little brain melting when we all learned that. Um is Oko the first planeswalker who's actually parented children? Like we know, I know Tamio had adopted children, but Tamio had some. Tamio had her own kids. Okay, also. I couldn't remember. Uh, Teferi has a oh, child, yeah, yeah, by the yeah. way. Niambi. See, it's just yeah. been a while. Um, Oko's the first deadbeat dad, though. Uh, anyways, <laughs> wow. um, later on, it's true. Yeah, diversity uh, win. This deadbeat dad is a shape-shifting elk-loving fairy man 
Um, oh God! Yeah, someone in our live listener chat mentioned technically Urza was also a deadbeat dad. I was I was uh, thinking more about Planeswalkers who had sired children after after their spark ignited. Urza's spark ignited after he'd already had kids. But yeah, that, that's the it. In fact, sparked after his son died, mm-hmm. or when his son died. After well, did did Harbin die? There was some question about that in the Brothers War story. Anyways, um. Later on, uh, Kellen is like wandering sure in the woods. In the war, uh, doesn't, and, it doesn't matter. Um, Kellen is wandering in the woods, and he finds what looks like uh, sort of like the portals he would go through the Feyman path, except this is just an Omen path. Uh, and he thinks about how his mom was telling all these stories about Oko going into all these different realms, and he thinks about how Troyan came from a different realm and mentioned going through something like this. Uh, and so Kellen just kind of thinking he'll just be a minute. He'll just go check it out and come back. I'm sure that works out great for you. Uh, he just walks through the omen path. God, I hope it's not one way. And then, then we get our post-credits teaser as Ashiok arrives to break Ariette out of jail because they didn't kill Ariette. And Ashiok whisks her away somewhere. And we're not sure if they, like, just go somewhere else on, on Eldraine or if Ashiok is going to... Uh, take her off plane because he says something along the lines of like there there are places for you to go um calls opportunity calls us in a new direction one far from here uh so mystery yeah mystery but that's the story of wilds of eldraine and it was a wild story oh that was for your pun yeah yeah, uh, Story I don't deserve great. better than that. <laughs> <laughs> Story was fun. I, I, yeah, go ahead. I love the reveal of how the mother tells the story of the of meeting Oko and like how they met in their courtship and how Oko was willing to like topple the world and install her as queen for like that. That's just, he, of course, he he started off okay and then escalated Anakin Skywalker style, but, you know, at least it had its good origins. Yeah, and this was also, like, 16 to 17 years ago, so, like, Oko was young. Yeah. Because, like... Yeah, we don't actually know how old he is, like... Yeah, we don't know how old he... We don't know what plane he came from. We don't know a lot of details about Oko, but in my mind, I'm imagining he was was pretty young. I mean, when when you're a shape-shifting fey creature does age really even matter for you good point that's not going to be part of your visual identity ever so who knows who can even tell oko could be 100 million years old we don't know he could be the oldest planeswalker uh i don't know i just feel like even even if he was not like young, he was still like 16 to 17 years younger. So he's it's just like the idea that the person we met as Oko in in the, the Throne of Eldraine story in Wilder's Quest uh, was older than the Oko that we know now uh, or that we knew from the, the, the story of meeting Kellen's mom. And so in that sense, I'm just thinking about how like the Oko that she knew was a little impulsive and wild 
And uh, the Oko that we know was also kind of impulsive and wild, but like much more mean, I think. Um, and so he's he's changed a little bit. It's quite possibly he might have changed in during the time of their courtship, and like because it sounded like he started off okay, and then things got a little worse as time progressed. So we like there might have been things going on off plane that like he was going through, and like his changes in viewpoint might have shifted while that was happening, and she noticed it in their interactions as they grew closer and whatnot. So you never know. It's very. I look forward to finding out more about Oko's backstory um, as we like get to Thunder Junction and whatnot. Because I'm assuming he's going to be there. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I also i I really love these stories. Like I mentioned, I've talked about the pacing a lot. Um, a lot happens in this fifth story, and yet it's also like it just felt like everything was sort of sliding into place very well, which was nice. Mm -hmm. Um, Even like Emma Dane showing up and talking about like protecting Will and calling him the high King. After we met her in episode one, we only saw her like a couple of times and saw her mentioned a couple of times, but like it felt right to slide her into that spot of like, she went from, I am you know rebellious and I, I'm not going to call this boy the King to like, you know, meeting the Lord of the Fae and then almost getting eaten by a witch and then also like almost freezing to death from another witch and then deciding, you know what? I think I found the person I'm going to stick with. You know, I think I think this Will guy might actually be kind of nice. Um, and I thought that was nice. One of the things I really like that Kay does in this uh, set story, uh, not the specifically fifth one, but across all five is there are a lot of small pieces that get set up and paid off and everything kind of grows out from the same origin point. A bunch of threads start, get tangled together and end up back at this same convergence point at the end. Um, And I think it's like just enough to like, how do I want to, I don't know. It's like just enough to be enough. Right? Like, Imidane's great, but this ain't her set. This ain't her story. We don't need to hear everything about her trials and tribulations in every moment of her life. Getting, you know, this good media encounter at the beginning and then having bits of her strewn throughout the next couple stories to cap off a little arc is great. That's what a minor supporting character should be like. Um, and we, we get a couple of these and it's, uh, it's good. It's like very, it's the right amount. It's very controlled, structured well. There's a lot of very good fundamental things that Kay does in these stories like this that are just like, you don't need to be that complex. You just need to execute your conceptions well. And a lot of the way this narrative is built does that. Yeah. I I agree. Um and I think it's very fun also to like find the little moments that that um granularly. So like there's overall the stories are I think written very well and have a very good structure. Um but there's also little moments that are like granularly granularly really well written. Um and also like our fun little homages to the genre that she's writing in. 
Um, I Mm -hmm. mentioned I kind of got obsessed with that child Kellen to the castle ruins comes line because um, that is such a clear and like direct reference to other literature that is working within that genre of like fantasy and fairy tale. Um, And there's a bunch of other references throughout. There's a little sing song that Agatha does uh, in episode like two, I think. Um, Yeah. And I think that's really fun. And I think we'll have to ask Kay more about that uh, when we talk to her, because there's a bunch of those. Um, But yeah, it'll be great. I I really hope we can have her on the show soon. Next Mm -hmm. week. (laughs) Uh, And then also the line in episode four, the the line that you point out, the line that I like had to make sure was written in here when Hilda says you owe him mm-hmm. nothing and Ruby says people don't need to owe each other to help each other. Uh, I love this because it it works so well at like defining Ruby's character, um, but also mm-hmm. defining sort of the overall message of this story and also just like being a good thing to just put out there in the world, like a, a statement as an artist to say like, this story is about how helping people does not have to be based on reciprocation that Kellen does this whole quest for Talion and then shows up to Talion and doesn't ask for a reward. Like he spent the whole time like obsessing over this reward. Like it was the thing that drove him at the end of episode four where he was crying because he was like, Talion has lied about everything except they know who my dad is and I have to help them even though they're kind of mean because they know who my dad is. And that's so important and at the end of it, Kellen goes, you know what? I don't care. I'm a hero. I saved the realm. I don't need you to tell me. I'll ask my mom. No, what what I love about this. So Kellen. Kellen grows up being, you know, because of the world he lives in, he grows up being kind of genre savvy about fairy tales. So he's heard stories about the Fae, even if he doesn't know a lot about their specific rules. He thinks himself a hero. He thinks his dad a hero, which, again, is very funny at the beginning of the story when you find out that his dad is Oko. <laughs> and um, we know that he's half Fae. So he himself, um, you know, he, the Fae half that he is isn't Eldraine Fae, so he doesn't follow Eldraine rules. Which means he doesn't follow Eldraine rules, which means when he makes a deal with the kind lord of the High Fae, Talion, Kellen is not actually bound by the fairy rules of this world. Um, It also means, you know, his heroism also gives him the means to break out of this structure that that, um, Talion sends him on this quest and promises him information in exchange for a whole bunch of stuff that is like very clearly more dangerous and worth more than this information. Like, hey, what is my dad's identity worth? To Kel- That's like Kellen's POV. Talion is like this. Ki- I'm just going to say a couple words to this kid and he's going to like kill three witches and end the sleeping curse and fix my mistake. That's a great deal for me. And Kellen doing that part and then not getting paid means like, yes, effectively echoes the, hey, Talion, I have helped you and you don't owe me anything for it, which upsets the terms of the deal. It means the Fae Lord doesn't have anything to hold over Kellen's head. 
which like undoes the entire power structure of that relationship because now they owe Kellen because Kellen did all this work for what ended up being free. And it's very cool to watch that happen. And I like Kellen a lot. Mm-hmm. Did I have I mentioned that I like Kellen a lot? Um, and like, it doesn't even come from a place of Kellen wanting to be clever or wanting to outsmart the Fae or get one up on Talion. It just comes from this genuine place of, hey, I don't think I can trust you. I just want to go home and talk to my mom and learn all this for myself. Thanks. Like, he's a boy so pure that he is uncorruptible by the crooked deals of the Fae. And I love that a lot. It's magic doesn't get to have just genuinely sweet and kind and caring and good hearted people in it. And Kellen is one of those. And Ruby is one of those. Uh, And this story just gets to have a lot of starkly unmitigatedly good people. And then also Will and Rowan. (laughs) Uh, And which like makes good tonal you know differences between these parallel narratives anyway it's really good it's really good um i liked these stories a lot ryan what did you think about these stories because i have talked a lot about them (laughs) so as as lorelei i talk a lot about everything to be fair that that is very true (laughs) yeah i found them very enjoyable like i think my favorite part was definitely the Hilda story. Um, and, you know, I think more people could take away from the, you don't have to know someone or owe someone to do the right thing. Like, I just, I love that messaging. Um, I'm really interested to see where they go with Rowan's story. Um, because, you know, I feel kind of bad for her because she's in this, it feels like a very PTSD kind of situation for her because, like, she feels all sorts of... It it almost feels like survivor's guilt that her parents are dead and she's still alive Mm -hmm. and she wasn't able to do anything to stop them and she feels bad that, like, um, Will is not willing to pick up arms to do things even though his way was, in the end, not a bad way to go about doing things. It's just different than the way that she would. And like, she's so scarred and like, I want to see how, how, like what her story is going to be. Cause like, I don't want to see her go completely down the wrong path or, but you know, that's probably what's going to happen. And I, I, I hope that she gets a redemption. Um, but we'll see. Like, uh, I, I love the fact that, Will has found his own way and has continued to impress even his doubters like Imidane into joining his side and being a a very good diplomat. And I, I just love the character work in all these stories like Ruby. Uh, like Ruby was just perfect. Um, and Lorelai's like covered Kellen perfectly. I, I couldn't say it much better. Um, it's... I just love what Kay was able to do with all the characters that she introduced in the story. And I love the little drops of the different planes being mentioned through the Omen Pass, which is like, like I said last, 
last time we talked about Omen Pass when I, when I was on, just like I love seeing little sprinkles of different planes coming through, and like I can't wait to see how they impact things going forward. Um, you know, it's seeing these characters from different planes having an impact on these stories is perfect. It's not too much, but it's just right. Like they they could stand to afford I mean they could stand to add a little bit more, but you know, it's it just happened, so there's a good chance that it's going to cause a lot more fluxes in planes and I can't wait to see what they do with it. Um so yeah, I, I really enjoyed all the little things that were sprinkled in. And I love seeing the reactions of people who were familiar with the uh, the literary uh Easter eggs and seeing their reactions because, like, I certainly am not the most well-read person as far as high literature is concerned. Um, but you know, I've I've had a little bit, and it's just fun seeing. It's fun reading the the responses from educate more educated people about these things and seeing how minute the, the details can be and how much joy it brings other people. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I was going to ask uh, in the last few minutes that we've got um, how we felt about this as the first post mom slash post like great uh, a desparkening slash omen path story because um, this was like the first you know it's like like the wildered quest before it it was the first story after a major climactic event um, and I feel like the wildered quest kind of got lost a lot in the jumble of the, you know, shift to ebooks and all that stuff. Um, but I think this as like a follow-up to March of the Machine um, was like a pretty, pretty perfect way to like transition away from that monumental story. Um, my opinion on it is that like focusing it on plane bound characters for the most part um, even if two of those characters used to be planeswalkers, um, and even if we know that one of them is like kind of half planeswalker and is also like about to leave the plane, um, it was still really, I think, a good idea to say like, hey, this is a thing that we wouldn't have been able to do had this story been come out like a year before March of the Machine. Because it's like, hey, we don't have to tell a story with a bunch of planeswalkers involved and like put all these like narrative things in here that are leading up to this big moment. Uh, they were just able to say, what if we told a really cool story that was definitely about the aftermath of everything that happened with the Phyrexian invasion, but also like the main characters are mostly, I'm going to just say all people who are Eldraine plane bound. Ashiok is not a main character. Ashiok is just kind of there. Um... <laughs> That is the biggest insult I've ever given Ashiok in my life. I'm going to have nightmares tonight. But like, I think that is sort of a really nice choice. And it works really well to be like, hey, we're going to we're going to put us down here on a plane and tell a story that's so related to what happened without making it a story about those characters that we just spent like two years with. My NDA take uh, is that I think this is a very good way to start something new. I think it was. Hey, we'll take one minor character from another plane, put them into the story. You get to see how that can affect the story. I think I talked about this last week. Mm -hmm. um, I think starting pretty conservative in terms of, hey, what changes? Like, 
Will and Rowan were still planeswalkers. I don't know how much the story changes, other than they can leave at any time. And so I I think this story, and and like Ashiok not being from here and being able to just like Ashiok does the planeswalker thing of I don't actually need to be here. Peace. If it sucks, hit the bricks. And they do. And and it's like a critical blow to the villains in the story. Um, and so I think this story uses all the pieces of this new multiverse. Uh, minimalistically, but effectively. Which I think is, is an important because I which I think is important. I can pronounce words correctly um, and say them the proper cadence. I think it's important to not rush into, oh, all the legends in this set are each from different planes. Ha ha ha. That's overwhelming and jarring. And I think this is a good easing into it. Yeah. Uh, like I said earlier, I'm... I'm excited to see what they do with it because I feel like this was they executed the perfect amount for the first story like immediately after it happened and I'm, I cannot wait to see what they do with more like easter eggs and more of these cross realm visitors impacting the story. Um I think the the beanstalk one was super cool with I forget what the semi character's name was that was helping them climb the, the beanstalk but like just having those kind of potions that help them uh, jump up the beanstalk it's was great so can't wait to see what they do with the rest of it but I, I will also stand by the fact that I don't think that they needed to despark for this story to happen but that's just me but if that's what they're choosing to do I feel like this was a good story to go with um, showing how it impacts people Without getting too deep into it, I do think that Rowan and Will being desparked was a big part of the story because of the fact that uh, Rowan's whole thing early in the story is that she wants to run away to go find a solution um, and she can't run away to find a solution. And so she ends up running directly into the problem instead. Um, and I think that's kind of an important thing, but also like there are other ways to have accomplished that without desparking them, I suppose. Um, just making Will not allow her to planeswalk away. Uh, but yeah, I think that is an important character trait now that Rowan and Will are desparked. All right, one 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 final discussion point. Juicy one, juicy mm-hmm. gossip one. Ariette, Rowan and Will's biological aunt or figurative aunt. Was the witch sister thing a familial thing or just a workplace family type stuff? I'll open this to the floor. I think workplace family and I think Ariette uh, probably did not care for her sister and probably <laughs> didn't even like her at all uh, and is just milking that connection because um, <laughs> that's the kind of person Ariette seems to be. Yeah, uh, I like her. <laughs> she's she's evil. Yeah. Well, she's a bad person. <laughs> I could see there being a blood relation since Rowan mentioned the fact that she even looked or she she didn't mention, but she thought of the fact that Ariette kind of resembled her in some way. But like, regardless, I, I that was the one thing that I was kind of annoyed with is that she trusted this stranger at face value, regardless of like it took her side against her brother at the drop of a hat. Seemingly, like even though she, I understand that she was going through a lot, it was kind of like, eh, you trusted so easily. You were just so mad at Will that you just trusted her 
at face value, not like even after the fact that she revealed like she's a, she's a power seeking witch, like she will tell you anything that she wanted that you wanted to hear just so you would side with her. But that's manipulating witches, sorry. So yeah, they're uh, all right. They're great evil. discussion. We're right. We're we're just we're not going to continue. We're going to be done this episode. <laughs> But I did have to ask that question because I, I think that is a a good open-ended thing that is maybe leverage for a future story or not. We'll see. But like, it's fun. I like when characters are related. Anyway, uh, me, I like when characters are related. Anyway, I have <laughs> normal feelings about Neon Genesis Evangelion. Uh, uh, final thoughts. Uh, my final thought this week is uh i'm upset uh not genuinely this is exaggerated for a comedy upset at fromsoft i don't have time to play armored core 6 i don't have time right now you can't two weeks after baldur's gate 3 releases say hey we made the next Armored Core game have system requirements pretty low so that it's more accessible to more people so they can play our game. And for me to go, oh, damn, my laptop can run this. Can't do that. Because now I want to play it and I don't have time because I'm too busy in Baldur's Gate trying to be a criminal turned hero. But I really want to get to building a mech and fighting other mechs. That's gender. Did I mention I like Evangelion? Anyway, <laughs> that's my final thought. I'm, I hope people who are playing Armored Core 6 are enjoying it. Uh, this has been a hell of a year for video games. Uh, and this is just the most recent one. And uh, I'm excited to get to it in, I'm estimating about a month. Chris, final thought. Brian goes next. Seniority. Brian goes next. Brian, final thought. <laughs> my final thought is that the home buying process sucks. Even though I've done it before, it's just right now, interest rates are super high. Houses are still flying off the market before you can even have time to look at them, and it's super annoying, and I'm, I, I hate it, but I have to endure it. It's me and my fiancé are house shopping, so, yeah. It, it seems to me like the housing industry, which is fucked up that it's an industry, no matter how many times you go through it, it sucks every time. It just seems like that's a miserable sea of bureaucracy and banking and luck and misery unless you're rich and you can just drop money at the drop of a hat it's it's uh yeah it's not fun and yeah, I'm not if you're, rich. <laughs> yeah if you're not paying cash uh because some wealthy relative of yours died or something uh it's not a good time um i will probably never own a house unless it is given to me which will probably happen but that's a different discussion about the fact that my brother owns a house and i don't and you know we have parents um Anyways, hey, you know, it's really interesting you say that, Chris, because there's these three witches and uh, that I gave gifts to and uh, <laughs> really like those gifts back. So if you're willing to do some work for me, I could see that you get given a house. Oh, uh, well, I would love to help you, but I'm a little busy right now. Um, All right. <laughs> I, well, yeah. how, just give me a final thought then. Uh, yeah. So my final thought could easily be. Uh, about Baldur's Gate, but it's not going to be. Um, it could also easily be about uh, like Armored Core and how Baldur's Gate is coming to Xbox and how I could play both of them. 
uh, but it's not because instead my final thought is going to be about a book that I am currently reading and like close to halfway done with. It's incredible and it's called uh, Devil House by known Magic the Gathering fan John Darnielle of the Mountain Goats, who, by the way, a uh, great songwriter, incredible novelist. Uh, this might be one of the best written novels I've read in decades. Um, it's absolutely beautiful. The writing is incredible. Uh, if you like true crime, you should read it. Not because it's true crime, but because it says a lot about you. Um, it is It is just really... <laughs> it's a book about a true crime writer uh, as he is, like, writing a new book about, uh, like, a terrible, like, murder that occurred in the 1980s. Um, and already not even halfway through it, there's a lot being said about the concept of the true crime genre uh, and what that means and what it does to people and stories and everything. Um, but it's just, it's so far very, very good. Uh, and John Darnielle is a big magic fan. And so I'm reading it and thinking to myself, aha, even I could one day maybe th be this good of a writer if I just keep playing jank to mythic on arena. Um, so that's, that's my inspiration. Didn't they just release a new single like two days ago or something? Yeah, and they're going on tour and they're coming to Athens, Georgia um, Hell in December. Yeah. So I might John have to is great. drive out and see it. John is great. Uh, he does go to magic events sometimes. So if you ever are at a magic event in the same city in the same weekend that a Mountain Goats uh, concert is happening, uh, he might be there. He's a cool guy. Um I don't have the energy for a segue. Uh, if you like, would like to support the show and keep it running, uh, you can head to patreon.com. This is the laziest version of this I have ever done. You can head to patreon.com slash the Porthos cast uh, and support us for as little as a dollar a month. Everyone who does gets access to our Discord server where Vorthoses from around the world are uh, talking about a lot of stuff. Uh, obviously, we have a brand new set out, so uh, people are going to be drafting... Uh, that's that soon and build commander decks. There's a lot of that, that fun talk. Um, we also got, you know, a bunch of media happening, a lot of good general discussion topics. Um, and, you know, if you want to hear me half ass segues into the little promotional part at the end of an episode, we even have a higher tier uh, where you can join us Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern uh, to be a live listener and get the show before the show even exists as it's being made you could watch us stuff our word meat into the sausage links of audio i'm losing this metaphor but uh <laughs> you can show up for stuff like that as it happens and uh hang out with us uh before and after the show a little bit usually because we're a chatty bunch so yeah it's great Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.